hear the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning and welcome. Uh, glad you're here. Thanks for that. It's good to be together. Um, my name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here. Um, and as we enter again into Matthew, as we've been studying for such a long time, I want to begin with like thinking back, remembering some of like your, your big firsts. Like, you know, the first time you really, really saw the, the Rocky Mountains. Or the, or, or the ocean, or, or heard the violin, the first time you saw your, your son or your daughter, the first time you ate a Chipotle burrito, right? <laughs> Everybody laughs at that. Like, that's, that's a spiritual experience, isn't it? I mean, I, I, remember, I remember really clearly. I mean, I just keep getting weirder, I know. Um, but for me, like, I had never heard of Chipotle, never seen one before. I was back in college, uh, right there, downtown Chicago. It was like a beacon in the night, right? And I knew eating it, like, my life would never be the same. And now it's kind of like, uh, I mean, I still, I still love all those things. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's just not, it's not what it used to be. I mean, don't, don't you ever wonder like where all the wonder went? When did we all get so bored? Like, I mean, you, like, you remember, right? You used to be so excited about whatever, right? And now it's just like, uh, you know, I think it's why, honestly, I think it's why we go from thing to thing to thing or why we try to live vicariously through our kids. I mean, it's like, at least they're still interested, right? Where did all the wonder go? Because the next, the next step after boredom I mean, it's, it's like what happened to that album you used to love, right? You know the one, or maybe several if you're really into music. And you listen to it and listen to it, and man, you love that thing. And now, though, it's like not only are you bored with it, you kind of actually hate it a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean, and this is just sort of the path that things take. Nothing, nothing is immune to this. Not even Jesus, in fact, I would, I would guess for many of us here, not all, but for, for many of us, we probably find ourselves somewhat uh, in either one of two camps. Uh, we're, we're either bored with Jesus or, or we're prejudiced against him. Like we're just so familiar, right? That's what, it's sort of, that's what we're left with in some ways. And so for some of us, right, you're, you're a Christian, uh, and yes, you, you follow Jesus, and yet if you were to look back, right, uh, to when you first began to take him seriously, and you stood back in awe of his grace and the fact that he would die and, and, and rise again for you, you stood back in wonder. <sighs> Sorry. Get tired just talking about it, right? Because now we, we think we know him. I mean, at least, 
at least well enough, right? Like the millionth sunset, Jesus just doesn't inspire you anymore. Instead, he just kind of makes you sleepy. Where did all the wonder go? Or maybe, maybe if, you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. We want, we want to be a place for you to, to come and explore with us. Um, so, but if that's, if that's you, maybe like it's, it's not really a wonder thing, right? Because you've never really had wonder towards Jesus maybe. So maybe it's not that you're, you're bored so much, but it's that you're, you're so familiar, you're, you're maybe just a little bit prejudiced. Like prejudice, you know, means to prejudge, right? It, makes it, it means to make a decision about something or someone without all the, without all the facts, right? Without actually exploring who he is. And many of us, I mean, we just, we think we know Jesus. I mean, you give gifts every year on his birthday, right? You, uh, you scream out his name every time you stub your toe. That's got to that's gotta count for something, right? Um, you, you know at least a, a couple of the stories, right? And so we, we assume then that we know enough to be able to reject him, which is essentially the story we just heard read. So we're in, we're in Matthew 13 this, this morning. Um, if you want to follow along, you can find, find the story there at the end of Matthew chapter 13. Um, and this, this morning, we're moving into a new section of Matthew. We've kind of tried to break up Matthew and different themes that are happening along in this book. And we're calling this one the King Revealed. You may have noticed that with each of these sections, it's something about the king or the kingdom, because that's, that is key for Matthew, right? It's all about this coming king and the kingdom that he brings with him. And in this section, these next few chapters, it's sort of like Jesus is, is inviting his disciples in to an even closer look at who he is, right? They've seen some of the basic things, they've heard some of the basic stories, and now they're going to see some pretty incredible things. But what's so interesting in this, this section, it begins, and most scholars agree, this is the start of a new section, it begins with this familiar king, that that's who Jesus is, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Because in, in this story this morning, in, in the pace of about a minute, Jesus' hometown crowd goes from, you know, just sort of astonishment to annoyance, from wonder to offense. And the reason? We know this guy. We've known him for decades. We're just not impressed. Where did all the wonder go? So our, our path this morning, as we, as we think about this, we're going we're to tell that story, kind of work our way through it, see what's going on there. Uh, then we're going to look at uh, the signs that we've lost the wonder, or maybe never had it, uh, and then we'll look at how to, how to get it back, or get it for the first time, or, or to maintain it, if, if, that, if you're in a place of wonder still. But before we, we do all that, let me, let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. We certainly need God's help. Uh, God, we are dependent upon you. Um, God, and we know that I know in my own life, um, I am wonder anemic. Um, God, I, I get so, I'm ashamed at how bored I get. How, how I forget how incredible it is that you, our God, would come to rescue us. And God, for the, for the many bored Christians in this room, God, would you give us a glimpse of your beauty again? Would you reinvigorate wonder in our souls? And God, I pray as well for those um, who maybe are more on the, on the prejudice side, who've, who've just frankly already made up their mind about Jesus. 
God, I pray that you would convict and confront them as well, that through your spirit, um, we would be interested again and that we'd see a little bit more of who you are and who you've created us to be. So Lord Jesus, that's not a work I can do. Um, That's not a work uh, anybody sitting in here can do. That's something that you need to do within us. And so we ask you to do it um, and we anticipate that you will. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Where did all the wonder go? Okay, so again, at the end of, of Matthew 13, and Jesus decides uh, to go home, to go, to go back to the place of, of, of growing up, and he preaches in his, in his home church, essentially. It's a local synagogue, right? Which, yeah, I mean, you gotta like think about that for a second. Um, we, we forget, we kind of put Jesus in this category of, like he was a baby and then he was an adult, right? We forget that there was like probably 30 years there, which we know almost nothing about. Um, that he, he grew up a, a normal life, right? In that culture and, and experienced very normal things. And so sitting there in the church that he's preaching to, a congregation probably similar to this one, maybe a little bit smaller, uh, but, you know, it's like, it's the kids he went to high school with, right? Uh, it's, it's the, you know, his old teacher and babysitter and, you know, soccer coach or whatever they had back then, right? It's, it's, it's the little old ladies are like, oh, I remember when he was this tall, Right? And his brothers and sisters, they're also there. And, and again, it feels weird for us to like picture Jesus in a setting like that. And yet, is anybody, anybody here from a small town? Yeah, yeah, okay, I am. And it's kind of the worst, right? Um, I mean, it's good too, right? There's good and bad in probably every situation. Uh, but I know for me, there's just some interesting challenge. Like I've actually, uh, I've preached in the church I grew up in where I lived from when I was three to 14, um, I preached a couple times there, which is like super weird, as you can probably imagine. Um, but, you know, whether you're preaching or not, like anytime you go back home, especially if you're a long time, it just feels weird because everybody there knows you. Or worse, right? They think they know you. And then they're quick to, quick to make assumptions, right? Put you in little categories and all that because, because of some supposed history with you. And these folks here, right, they're astonished, Matthew tells us, at Jesus' wisdom, his, his miracles. I mean, think about that. Like, they don't deny them. They're not trying to, to dismiss them or explain them away. Uh, they understand that there's something unique about Jesus, that, that he's not just in the same category of their other religious heroes or teachers. Something is unique about him. But astonishment is not the same thing as faith. And the reason they reject him, I mean, again, look at it, from astonishment in verse 54 to offense in verse 57. And here here are the words they say in this moment of astonishment. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him you're a carpenter, just like your dad. Jesus, go build me a barn. Don't try to save me, right? Uh, we, we, know this, we know the stories. We heard all the rumors. Mary's your mom, right? This is probably what's going on here. You know, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Is that what they call it these days, right? Uh, all these, we, we've seen too much. We've watched you grow up. We're not impressed. See, there's a, there's a fine line, right, between, aw, I changed his diapers, and ugh, Right? I changed his diapers. And they, they've seen enough of Jesus to not, to not want to go any further. Cool miracles, Jesus. We're impressed, um, but not that impressed. We know you. 
And what's so interesting, what Matthew's doing here, he's showing us once again, just like he did with the Pharisees, right? We spent a lot of time with the Pharisees the last couple of weeks, right? That those who you would most expect, I mean, they're Pharisees, they're religious people, right? Those you would most expect to receive Jesus are the ones who want nothing to do with him. I mean, almost every politician wins in their hometown, right? Jesus doesn't. He's rejected. And they want nothing to do with him. And this, here's where this scares me, folks. I, I feel like this is one of our biggest dangers for us. In, our, in a culture like ours, um, and particularly in, in the church, because we're just so used to Jesus. He's the hometown kid, right? And everybody thinks, to some extent, that they know him, or at least know enough about him. And so if you've been in church any length of time, which I know many of you, many of you have, uh, I mean, we're on as you've heard it all before, right? Like, I don't have any surprises left for you, you know, to like come up with here. Nothing up my sleeve, right? You've, you've heard it. And even, even for those of you who didn't grow up in church, who have taken a, a long time away from church and maybe never really listened back then, right? Like, culturally still, you're familiar, Right? And we tend to know enough, or think we know enough, that we can treat Jesus, forgive me for this one, uh, a little bit like, like George Costanza. Let's, let's watch. You know, in the cab on the way over here, I, I actually thought about converting. <laughs> to Latvian Orthodox? Why not? What do I care? <laughs> you want to accept the Latvian Orthodox faith? <clears throat> In this age of uncertainty and confusion, a man begins to ask himself certain questions. How can one even begin to put into words something so, um... Enigmatic? Uh, Vast? No, not vast. Um, uh, well, whatever it is, basically, you like the religion. Yes. Uh, is there one aspect of the faith you find particularly attractive? I think the hats. The hat conveys that, that solemn religious look you want in a faith. Very pious. Uh, are you familiar with orthodox theology? Well, perhaps not to the extent that, that you are, but... Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I know the basic plot, yeah. Plot? Yes, you know, the, the, the flood and the uh, lepers and the commandments and all that. Well, it's obvious you are sincere in your desire. Oh, yes, I am, Father. Incredibly sincere. So, uh, am I in? Uh, so, yeah, forgive me. But I think the reason we hate George Costanza so much is that we all, like, have this little George Costanza living within us, right? And we can identify that. We, we understand that sort of that, that, that approach. It's like, well, what do, what do I care, right? I'll convert. Uh, you know, I, get the, I, I, I know the basic plot. I know enough. The hats. Like, that's, that's the, the last wondrous piece left for us. Where did all the wonder go? So what, what are the signs, then, that we've lost it? Or, or maybe, again, for some of us, that we've, we've never really had it when it comes to, to Jesus. Well, we've, we've alluded to them, right? It's either prejudice against or boredom with. 
prejudice against or, or boredom with. And the, the clearest in the story is the prejudice against Jesus. I mean, it's, it's so obvious about what's, what's going on there. And, and while none of, us, none of us here grew up with Jesus, many of us, in some ways, kind of grew up with Jesus, right? Either, either in church or in a culture that still sort of acknowledges him, that, that has him as, you know, I don't know, kind of not quite a mascot, but sort of, sort of there around with us. Like, he's our biggest holiday, and he's a favorite curse word, right? Uh, we know the plot. And in our familiarity, it's so easy then to think, well, I don't, I don't actually have to think about it, do I? I mean, I don't have to take him seriously, because we have these caricatures. You don't take caricatures seriously. And so it's easy just to push aside. And I mean, I've, just, I've been around him my whole life. And we either reject him without actually knowing who it is we're rejecting, or we wrongly assume we're Christians simply because we show up at church on a Sunday. And let me, let me even just say, like, by saying that we're prejudiced, I'm not trying to, like, this isn't me, like, casting stones at those who, who don't believe. I don't, I don't think, that. In, fact, in fact, in many ways, in many ways, you've got a lot of reasons to be prejudiced against Jesus. Uh, for one, I think one of, the, one of the biggest areas that we're prejudiced because we, we, we've, got, we've seen too many caricatures of his followers, Right? And maybe not just characters, but some of us, let's be honest, some Christians are a mess. And the stereotype of Christians that were angry and arrogant and hypocritical and self-righteous and whatever, right? All these other things. And, and so it's so easily, it's so easy to think that that must be who Jesus is. And I'm, I'm sorry if that's, and I mean this genuinely, I'm sorry if that's been your experience. Not all are that way. Um, I hope that you'll, you'll discover something else here. Um, not all. Uh, live their life like that. But because that's the stereotype, it's very easy then to begin to think, well, if, if those are the kind of people who follow Jesus, man, I don't want anything to do with that, right? I don't want to be with them, right? And, if, and then we, we move to even, like, even, well, and if that's who attract, who's attracted to Jesus, who, who is Jesus, right? What's his problem? To have these kinds of followers, and we quickly begin to say, you know what? No, I don't think so. Which honestly would be a little bit like, um, a little bit like saying you don't like fish uh, when all you've ever eaten are fish sticks, right? It's just not really fair to the fish, is it? Like, I mean, to make a decision, you've got to actually try good, fresh, like fish, right? Not some process that, you know, attempt. Right? And, but so often, that's what we do with Jesus. We think, well, I've, I've had the fish stick version, and so I don't want anything else. Which should both, right, confront us who are Christians and the way that we live and think, of, think about the way that we are representing Jesus, but also for those of us who are quick to make a decision. Or, or another, another reason we're prejudiced, and again, I, I totally understand this, that, that we, we know little bits about Jesus, and then we take those little bits uh, to paint the whole picture, a little bit like, you know, trying to draw a sunset with one crayon, right? Just a bit inadequate. And so, for example, it's like, it's very easy to say something like, and for me to say as well, like, well, I know what Jesus teaches about sex, and I know I don't like that. Um, and so Jesus surely didn't rise from the dead, right? right? I don't like what he says about money. Uh, I, don't, I don't like what he says about, about my ego. And so we quickly say, because whatever it is we don't happen to like about what Jesus taught, that he couldn't possibly have risen from the dead. But do you see how, how backwards that is? Because the reality is, if Jesus rose from the dead, 
who cares how much any of us like anything he had to say, right? I mean, you, you cannot ignore the one who, who defeats death, right? He must be reckoned with. And, and besides, uh, the only way to know that you've stumbled upon the real Jesus, rather than just, you know, your own imaginary Jesus, um, who lives in your pocket, right? Um, is if he offends you from time to time, right? I mean, because the, the projection, the, the mental projection that we often have or, or who we suppose, like if he, if he doesn't offend us, then you're probably just worshiping a, a projection of yourself. And of course, that's going to get boring, right? Jesus is going to confront us. One other reason for the prejudice, and this is, this is maybe a little bit of a lighter one, but I still think it clouds our, our picture of who he is. We just have too many, I don't know, like cliches around him, right? Whether you've just seen too many churches or nativity scenes, right? You've heard too many cheesy love songs to Jesus on the radio or, um, or, or bad Christian art. Like all of these sort of things cloud it. Uh, you know, I, I know for me, like one of them, like I remember growing up, like praying to paintings of Jesus, essentially, right? Because that's who I'd picture him as, right? And so you, you think of Jesus and you're like, maybe he's this guy. This is, I call this one sensitive Jesus. This is the one that I, I probably grew up. This is, uh, it's cuddly Jesus, I think. Uh, shiny Jesus. And, and my personal favorite, romance novel Jesus. <laughs> I mean, right, right? Yeah. If you just unbutton, you know, the top button there. Um, if he had buttons. Uh, and if that's what you picture, like, I don't want to follow that guy anywhere, Right? I mean, and if you do, like, really? Like, what's, what's, I mean, but that, those are the kind of images that we have, and we make these, these quick judgments based on all these things. And listen, let me just, you can reject Jesus. You can reject him. He, he gives us that, that right and that, that freedom. Just make sure it's actually Jesus you're rejecting, not some caricature. Not whatever, whatever preconception you have or, or stereotypes that you've built it upon, but who he actually reveals himself to be in the earliest source documents about his life. If you want to reject him without prejudice, you've got to take him seriously first and then decide. Okay, but there's, there's another sign um, that we've lost uh, the wonder, that we have a wonder problem. And honestly, I think, I think the I think churches can be full of this one. And I say that um, because I see this one so deeply in here. Like this is, this is the one that is most likely to stage a coup in my soul. It's not, and I, and I would guess this is true for me, it's not, that we, it's not that we don't believe. It's not even that we don't want to obey him, although that may play into it. For many of us, it's just, we're just bored. Which, it's like, well, great, he died and rose again. I've, I've heard that. I mean, just think about for a second. I mean, the folks in this story, they actually heard Jesus preach, like out of his own mouth. They saw miracles performed by his hands. And yet they, they walk away with a yawn, dismissing him. And I, I can tell you, I mean, personally, I am, I am so thankful to have grown up in the church. Like, this is all I've known my whole life is... That's what you do on, on Sundays, right? You go to church. It's, it's, all, it's all I've known um, ever. And I, I am so thankful uh, that I had, have, had, they're not dead, have parents um, 
whose faith was always on display for me, in, in not perfect ways, but in real ways in my life. I'm so, and, I, and I want to raise my, my children, David and Eden, in, in the same way. And yet, there's a danger with that, isn't there? I mean, for example, one, one commentator writes, he says, exposure to Jesus and the gospel is no guarantee of faith. Indeed, apart from faith, exposure to the gospel inoculates as often as it enlivens inoculates as often as it enlivens, that, that for some of us, we have, like Jesus, like we've been vaccinated against him almost, with so many faulty images and, or, or just so many, you know, boring stories or, or tuning him out. We have so much of like Jesus sort of in our veins that he might not actually enliven our hearts. And listen, let me just say, kids, students, your church loves you I hope, I hope you know that. I hope, I hope you hear that not simply as words. We love you, and there's nothing that you could do to make this church stop loving you. Uh, you are family with us, and we will love you no matter what in every situation. Um, but there comes a time, and, and some of you are realizing this as you get older, right? There comes a time when you cannot depend on your parents' faith anymore, right? That you have to, in, in awe of Jesus, you have to say, yes, this is for me. Like, I, this is what I want. This is who I want to follow and, and give my life to. Don't, don't get bored with the stories. Don't, don't simply push them aside. Well, I've, I've just grown up with this. I've always heard these stories, right? And, and we e- so easily begin to push them next. I can, I can picture myself in Sunday school. I can picture the little flannel graphs. We don't have those here. Thank goodness, right? Um, and quickly say, well, that's, those are kids' things. And we dismiss Jesus without even taking him seriously because we're just bored. Fight the drift. I mean, imagine... Imagine if we allowed our closest relationships to follow the same pattern, right? Boredom. I know them. I know her. I know, I know him. I don't have to listen. I don't have to ask questions. I don't have to care anymore. We, I mean, we know, right? It's intuitively. We see it that the moment wonder evaporates in a relationship, the relationship disintegrates along with it, doesn't it? And yet somehow we think Jesus is going to be different. Paul, Paul Tripp refers to it, he's an author, he refers to it as a loss of awe. He says, every human being has been hardwired by God to live in daily awe or wonder of him. This means the deepest, most life-shaping, practical, daily motivation of every human being was designed to be the awe of God. The spiritual danger here is that when awe of God is absent, it is quickly replaced by awe of ourselves. If you are not living for God, the only alternative is to live for yourself. And the end result in this story with these folks, look at it. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, in his own household. I mean, that's, that's like saying like, like anywhere else a prophet can at least get a little props, right? A little respect. Everywhere but here where he's known. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And he, he leaves where did all the wonder go? I mean, without it, whether it manifests itself in boredom or prejudice, we can so easily end up rejecting Jesus. I mean, the end result is the same. And so how do we get the wonder back? Well, the story doesn't tell us. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Um, but there are hints of it here and throughout Matthew as a whole. And so let me just mention three things to help us here. 
And this, let me even just clarify, it's to get, get the wonder back, get it for the first time, or hold on to it, right? We're all, we're all in different places there. So three things. First, because even though we're, we're all at different degrees of prejudice, right, all of us, um, things clouding our judgment when it comes to Jesus, the first thing we have to do is confront our prejudice with reality. I mean, if you're prejudiced against anybody, the first step is to actually get to know them, right? That's the only way to overcome our stereotypes. And I know, right, when it comes to Jesus, it's like way easier said than done because you cannot just go and have lunch with Jesus. But you can read the accounts of those who did have lunch with Jesus. You, you can read and explore what they, what they believed about him, who, who Jesus claimed to be. I mean, you can read about it in the Gospels, right? All throughout the New Testament, the letters, these are the folks who first encountered him. Who do they think he was, right? That's, a, that's an important question. Why did they give their lives for him? Who was Jesus claiming to be? I mean, it's one of the reasons that together we're going through the Ma- Gospel of Matthew and spending as much time as we are here. It's because we, we need to paint a more accurate picture of who he is. I mean, if, you're, if you're new to church or you're curious about Jesus, this is a great time uh, to hang with us and explore him. Another thing you can do um, to confront the prejudice, right, is to, to pray, which I know sounds really, really weird. It's because it is. I mean, think about it. It is kind of weird. But try it. Jesus, would you, would you show me who you are? Would you show, just show me where I'm bored? Confront that. Show me my prejudice, the things that I'm, that I'm missing in my own life, or I'm making assumptions about you. God, would you show me? And this may sound silly, but again, I think one of the best things that we can do here um, to make sure that we're actually pursuing the real Jesus is just to like regularly ask ourselves, have I been offended by him lately? Because the real Jesus will offend you. Like fake Jesus, right? The imaginary one, um, the one who likes all the same things you like and hates all the same people you hate, who goes around like just patting on your back telling you, you're my favorite, you know? Um, like that, that's just a figment of our imagination, right? The real Jesus is going to offend you. He's gonna confront you because we're broken, like, I'm, I'm sinful. I want to do my own thing, right? And every culture, it doesn't matter where you are, every culture gets it wrong in some places, is blind in some areas. So every person, every culture is going to be offended by Jesus. This is one of the only ways that you can know if you've actually stumbled upon the real God is if he offends you from time to time, if he confronts you because he's perfect and I'm not. We have to confront our prejudice with reality. Second, second if we want to get the wonder back, uh, we've got to spend time with people who haven't lost it. And I know for me, like, this one's really important in my life. Um, I, I, I probably tend a little bit on the introverted side. Um, actually, it's a joke in our home. The longer I'm a pastor, the more introverted I become. I just retreat a little further and a little further. Um, but I know how important this is in my life. Like, I, if I want to engage, if I want to continue to be in awe of Jesus, I need to do it with other people. I, I, need, I need your awe in my life, your wonder to encourage me. I mean, it's not a coincidence, right? We see with the disciples, it's not a coincidence that when Jesus calls us, he calls us together. And I realize for some of us, this is still part of that prejudice because if you think Christians are terrible, you don't want to do that, right? And again, some, some are, but not all. And you're not going to know until you dive in deeper in relationship with those around you and, and actually try to get to know them. Also, I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why community groups or small groups or any sort of like intentional, deliberate relationships among believers is just so important. It's so important for me because when I'm bored, somebody in that group is encouraged, right? 
when, I, when I'm just tired of it, like somebody else is, is excited and it's contagious. I know for me, when, I, when I'm alone, wonder tends to evaporate, but together it, it holds stronger, it multiplies, it, it, it like fuels itself, right? It's also one of the reasons why we sing in church. I mean, yeah, we sing to God, but we also sing to each other. And I realize some of you, some of you love to sing. You wish I'd be done so we could start singing. Others of you like just, I mean, we're going to sing again, right? And I, and I get that. But even, even why we set the chairs in this sort of like semi-awkward way where we can all see each other, it's because we're singing to one another. That there, there are times, and I, I'm guessing many of you have experienced, I'm not the only one, right, where I've stood right over here and just, frankly, just not feeling it, right? Not in the mood, but I hear your wonder, your delight, your joy, and it reminds me, it's contagious. It says, yes, there is something worth singing about here. There's something worth delight, giving my life to again. We need that. Any kids? Um, kids, hello, are you there? Um, students, this is, we need you. And this isn't like me trying to like be being patronizing. I hope you don't hear it that way. We need you. Look around. There are a lot of bored adults in here. Honestly, <laughs> I'm part of the problem, I know. But there are a lot of bored adults in here. And we, we need to see your wonder, your excitement, your joy, that you're not tired of these things. That there's something in these stories that changes us. I mean, one of the things I've often, I've often said, half joking, but not really, um, that as a, as a parent, like, like the only thing greater than reading Harry Potter for the first time is reading it aloud to your kids for the first time. Like some of you probably experienced that, but for me, it's like, I mean, it's just, it just multiplies the, the joy, the imagination, the delight, the, all of it. You see it through their eyes and it just sort of blows you away. And people, we, we have the greatest story of good versus evil. Not, not fantasy, not fiction, not something just to entertain us or make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. But we have a God who has come to this earth to rescue us. And when I, when I tell that to my kids and I see them say, wow, like still think about the fact that it's amazing that God would forgive us for, you know, punching our sister or whatever. We have a God who loves us like that. And you see the wonder and you, it makes me like stop and think, man, maybe this story really is wonderful. That our God has come. I know we, we hear this often from our folks who, who hang out with our kids in children's ministry. Like one of the, the hidden delights is being able to see faith through a child's eyes. Wonder is contagious. Spend time with those who haven't lost it. One more. One more. And this one I know is, it sounds like a contradiction, so hang with me. I don't think it is. Um, if you want to kindle wonder in your life, you have to celebrate the ordinary. Because most of life is ordinary, right? Unspectacular. And I'm not trying to be Eeyore here, uh, but uh, you, you know what I mean? Like life is, just, life is just ordinary. You just live it, right? I mean, there's moments of the marvelous, of the wondrous, with a lot of just sort of, eh, right? And faith, faith is similar. Not, not every prayer or time you open your Bible is going to rock your world. Not every... Uh, community group or small group experience or, or church service or song we sing, not even every sermon, okay, as hard as that is to believe, uh, it's not all going to just change your life, right? It's not all just going to be incredible. Faith, just like life, is full of all kinds of ups and downs, the exciting and the mundane. 
And that's okay. Actually, I think it's part of the beauty. In fact, one of the, for me at least, one of, the, one of the things I think is most wonderful, most awe-inspiring about Jesus, and frankly, one of the things that, that makes this story feel authentic is, is just how ordinary Jesus is. I mean, anybody else struck by that? I mean, you know, don't misunderstand me. I believe he's God. In some ways, there's, there's nothing, nothing ordinary about him. And yet, our God made himself ordinary for us. This is Mary's son. His dad's a carpenter. He used to, you know, he built my, my chair and my table, right? Here's his brother and his sister. It's just so ordinary. In fact, they even mention, Matthew mentions James here, um, I love the story of James. James is Jesus' half-brother. Um, I, always, I always marvel at this one because like, uh, all, his brothers all rejected Jesus. Um, they, they wanted nothing to do with this Messiah business, right? Um, and you can't really blame them for that, right? Like, who wants to believe that about your big brother? I mean, can you, can you imagine? Talk about sibling rivalry growing up with, oh, Jesus, you know? I mean, just imagine what that's like. Of course they don't want him. But what amazes me is that James actually ends up giving his life to Jesus, giving everything for Jesus, actually becoming one of the leaders in the early church, writers, writer of, of part of the New Testament. And so let me ask, like, what would it take you, right, um, to look at your brother, the, the, the kid you grew up with, what would it take for you to believe that he's the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, your Savior, God with skin on. What would it take? Well, James saw his brother die and then he saw him alive again. And that, that changed everything for him. But back, back in our story, right, in this, this hometown moment, it's all just so ordinary. It's way too mundane. And while it's his ordinariness that causes them there to reject him, it's one of the things that drives me to my knees in adoration of this God. Because our God, the holy, the mighty, the beautiful, the perfect, the righteous, the, our God, the creator and sustainer of, of all things, our God, the one that we rebel and reject against, who, I mean, if we're honest, right, we would, we're too bored or prejudiced to take seriously most of the time. Our God made himself ordinary for us. We, we, don't, we don't have a God who just looks down loftily on high, right? Wagging his disappointing finger, right? At, at creatures like us who just mess up. That's not, that's not our God. Our God comes. He comes to get us, to heal us, to offer wholeness. I mean, this, I mean, if you want to know what sets Christianity apart from any other faith, it's, it's this. We have a God who goes to this greater lengths to make himself ordinary for people like us, to die in our place, to come back to life, offering us life and offering us a home in his kingdom, a place in his family. And if you cannot receive Jesus in his ordinariness, you'll never experience him in his glory. But when you see the lengths he went to make himself ordinary for us, is anything more awe-inspiring? more truly extraordinary than this. Where, where did all the wonder go? Here he is for us.
Let's pray. God, would you give us wonder again? God, would you put that in my heart? And for all of us here, God, whether, whether we're dealing with boredom or prejudice or someplace else, God, I, I pray that you would help us, even in these moments, God, as we respond to you by singing these things, these things that for many of us we, we have known for a long time or at least been familiar with, God, I pray that you would enliven our hearts. God, I pray that your, your grace would be amazing again, that your cross would be wondrous, and that we would cry out together, how marvelous what you have done for us, our God.